Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. And, of course, I'm your host, Al Warren. Uh, joining me as co-host today is David North Martino. I'm here. <laughs> Where's my martini? He's a, he's a Scotch man, so I guess that's, that's or a whiskey man. Sorry, whiskey, Scotch, bourbon. Yeah, I wonder if put down. I'll go for anything. You probably won't hear a lot of questions today because he's 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 always got he's a double fist drinker, you know. <laughs> poor cat. That's my vodka and coke to shame. <laughs> this poor cat, you know. Um, well, um, so uh, joining us from across the water, we've got uh, author Sean Kerr. How are you doing? Hello there. Very good. Thank you. So listen, I, 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 when I look at things, I, I, it looks to me like you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you like to be, <laughs> <laughs> you like to be described as a horror author? Uh, yes, I've got two hats, really. I write paranormal romances and I write horror um, but more often than not, they cross over. Well, well, that's kind of 
I don't think I've had that mix before now that I'm thinking about it. Because it's like a paranormal romance that's a horror. So I started writing horror, and then I went into um, paranormal romances from uh, an LGBT point of view. And then the two genres kind of merged. And um, I got picked up by a, a, a publisher. And that, that's what set me off, really. That, that's how it starts. So... I don't know how to describe myself. Am I horror? Am I paranormal romance? I'm both. Well, well, then, but then when you look at this, oh, you got picked up by a, a publisher. That's great. Um, but when you look at this, um, so when you say paranormal romance, so you're making a – this is something I've never written in myself. I've never written any romance, and I very seldom read romance. Um, so – your romance story, uh, it's, it's kind of set to a real romance, like it's a real couple, uh, and you try to make it as real as possible, then you throw in the supernatural? No, I, I always start from the, the supernatural aspect of it first. I, I've got to be perfectly honest with you, I knew nothing about paranormal romance when I wrote my first series. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know about the books, I didn't know about... Um, Gay literature, nothing at all. I just had this mad idea after watching a film, and I thought, oh, I wonder what would happen if I tossed that into the mix. And then I started doing the research, and... Hmm. Well, do you... Okay, so where does the paranormal supernatural come from for you? Is it like you had experiences before in your own life or your own... Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like... It, did you have no, any? no, nothing. I, I, well, I, I, there's been the odd thing. We went. Uh, me and my husband went to a, a, a rather shady hotel, shall we say, in um, <laughs> in Sitges, just outside of Barcelona, and we had an experience there. Not what you think. Um, and it was like <laughs> something was grabbing the sheets. Uh, that's the only thing I can ever say. But it, it that that. Um, didn't start me off on a career of writing. I've just always been fascinated by the paranormal and vampires and all of that sort of stuff. It's, it's always been in me since I was a kid watching the Hammer horror films. Oh, right. So, you, so you're really, you know, into the... Do you like Most Haunted then, too? Or? I used to love Most Haunted. I kind of went off it when I discovered that uh, the main guy was a fake. That kind of put me off. Oh, um, he died, too. Derek Acora, yes. Yeah, yeah we had him yes. on the show. We have, I've had him, I've had David Wells, um, Karen O'Keefe, of course. I've had well, I like David Wells, and we went to see um, Derek Acora live. And it was after that, really, that it put me off, because he picked somebody out of the audience and said, you're either going to give birth to the new sire or a really famous footballer. And I'm sitting there thinking, ah, what? And it was, it was dreadful. <laughs> And then it broke on the news about him being a fake. So it kind of put me off all of that then. Well, well I he, did still watch it for a while. I mean, if he picked you out as giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they were I, seriously I, in trouble. Yeah, oh, I was going to say that. would have made a fantastic one. <laughs> I was going to say that's obvious. He's not. Uh... <laughs> wow. Hey, you never know these days. You don't. <laughs> wow, that, yeah. But that, it's so, so you're totally into it. But. I have to ask, so how do you develop your character? Like, where, where do your characters come from, first of all? So in this book, Last Child, Part One, um, your main characters, 
how does how do they get created in your mind? The the last child was an idea I had years and years and years ago, um, long before I was published. Um, and uh, Samuel, the boy in it, is kind of based on me um, because I had a really bad childhood with being bullied at school. And so everything that he goes through in, in, in those books is, is based on things that happened to me. Not being possessed by the devil, obviously, although some would say <laughs> otherwise. Um, and I was befriended by a teacher in school who looked after me and encouraged me to carry on with my art and, and my writing. And, and so, so a bit of that dynamic, well, a lot of that dynamic comes from, from my experience of my, of my school school your life, which were none too pleasant. Yeah. So, so you're kind of taking it from your own experience. So it's, it's, yeah. Okay. So, so when, so if you're, if you were kind of like based, Samuel's based on you. Um, so when things start happening that are a little bit more tragic or, you know, horrorish or suspense, um, do you, does, does does that character Samuel act or react the same way that you would act? I think I'd run down the road screaming with my arms <laughs> in the air, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is about Samuel is that he's trapped in an abusive childhood with his parents. I didn't have that many friends. I think I was always the odd one out. Well, definitely. And um, as I began, began to become aware of my sexuality, I kind of withdrew from the schoolyard if you like it was very uncomfortable and yeah I think as a child I'd have been very grateful for a friend who listened to me who talked to me who comforted me that would have been wonderful and that's what happens to Samuel this voice is comforting him and, and telling him that he'll be all right and he believes it do you, so so it's important do you have a, a so are you kind of writing a subtext within the story as well? Like, do you want someone to get something uh, besides the, the ongoing suspense? No, I, th 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 there was no deliberate subtext to it. Some people who have read it ha have talked about, you know, the forgiveness aspect of it and acceptance. That really wasn't at the core of it. I just wanted to try and tell a rollicking good story because I had all these twisty things going on in my head and I needed to get them down on paper. And because I, I love plots. I love really, really intricate plots and twists and turns. And I'm obsessed with religion, even though I'm not religious. And I love conspiracy theories. So all of that sort of omen and Dan Brown stuff has been living in my head for such a long time that... The Last Child was my way of trying to exercise that particular demon out of me down on, onto book form. I, and I suppose it was cathartic to write about somebody who got beaten up in school and stabbed and all the rest of it. Um, that, that felt quite good to get that out of my system, I must admit. How do you um, manage your storylines and your character arcs in your books? I have loads of sheets of paper and cards. I, with The Last Child, it originally started out as a television script because okay. I was going to 
night classes for to learn script writing. And I did that for uh, uh, it was two years, and I loved it. I absolutely loved every single thing about that process. It was fantastic. But it was a huge learning curve. And one of the main things that I took away from that was that planning stage. Um, you, oh, go ahead. No, I, I just have lots of cards with um, ideas for scenes. And then I try to put them in order. You know what it's like. You throw some out if they don't fit, if they don't work. You put others in until I'm happy with the order. And I'm happy that the story makes sense. You know, that it has a solid start, middle and conclusion. And, and then I go for it. I have all my research around me and I go for it. Did you find that uh, making that transition, making the transition from, let's say, uh, screenwriting to uh, prose to novels, did you have any difficulty with that? Did you find that doing novels was um, only just, from uh, more? Only from the point of view that I try to do it seriously. And what I mean by that is I... Ever since I was a kid, I've written stories. Uh, my favourite show on the telly when I was growing up was Doctor Who. I'm a Tom Baker fan. And I used to write my own Doctor Who stories. I used to write my own ghost stories. Then I saw Alien for the first time. And that sent me off in one, so I wrote a sequel to Alien. <laughs> All the things you do when you're a kid. Yeah? That's great. <laughs> so I've always written. But a few failed attempts to try and do something properly with it. Um, the first time I sat down and wrote absolutely seriously with the intention of doing something with it was the script for The Last Child, which I sent to the BBC and various places. And I had great feedback about it, but nothing ever happened. And so it sat on the shelf for years until I had my first series of books published by um, Ecstasy Books. And then I went back to The Last Child and thought, that needs to be a book. It's not a script. It needs to be a book. So it, the bones of it was already there. It needed to be fleshed out properly. The characters needed to be developed. I tweaked the story. I tweaked the story quite a lot. Um, everything that you need to do... You know what it's like when you, you, you see a film and you read the book. They're two different entities, aren't they? They, they, they just seem so different to each other. Uh, and I really enjoy that process, I have to say. I found it easier to write those books than I have any of my others. Uh, what do you think makes a good book? For you, what makes a good book? I want to be knicker-gripped. I want it to grab me by the short and curlies and make me want to turn <laughs> the next page and I need to find out what happens. And if they don't tell me at the end of that chapter, then I need to read on and find out. There's a book by um, a lady called, uh, her name is Elizabeth Costover. And it's my favourite book in the whole world. And it's called The Historian. And it's a historical telling of Dracula. And it's not all bats and capes and all of that. It's not, it's not Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's Dracula the Vampire from a historical point of view. And it's an astonishing book the most incredible historical detail and it's told in a very unusual format terrified the bejesus out of me it's so creepy <laughs> and it's always that book i go back to because that's where i want to be that's what inspires me that's what drives me and that's the sort of thing i want to try and do an aim for i'm not saying i ever succeed because who does but you try every time you write something you try and that book by Elizabeth Costa, I've read it 
dozens of times. And I will keep reading it because it spurs me on and it makes me want to write better. Because it's the only book you own. <laughs> 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 Sitting in the bathroom. Call me! <laughs> yes. I, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I won't say it on Twilight then. Keep yeah. that quiet, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, it's, it's it's interesting, but so with each writer, writer, I, I always like to find out. Um, so you said you've been writing since you were a kid, so you were fairly young. So yeah. what was it in your life or what happened to you uh, to the point where you felt like you were confident enough to write something that you were going to send into a publisher or send into somewhere to be published? Like where, where did that confidence come from? I've never been confident. I've never had the confidence. My first published book is called Dead Camp. And it's a paranormal romance. It's a series of five books about a vampire in World War II. And it's all to do with, again, it's very heavy on conspiracy and religion. Um, and I didn't believe for one minute I would get that book out there because it's so out there and it's very, very rude in places. <laughs> and um, it's really raw and rough and it took me two years to write it and I sent it to every single publisher I could find in that artists and authors yearbook and as well as a load of others I found on the internet and when everybody says no you think oh right delete start again write something else um, and then Ecstasy Books came along and published it. So I've never, ever had the confidence to do it. And I've had numerous books that I've started and put down just because you think, why am I doing this? Why am I spending endless hours and lying in bed awake at night thinking of plots hmm. when nothing's going to happen with it? And it's a very frustrating feeling when you're that way inclined because some people just have to write. And yeah. I know that sounds like a dreadful cliche, if you get me saying it. But the last two years in particular, I've, I've been teetering as to whether to continue or not. And then I think, right, I am going to stop. I'm going to concentrate on other things. But you don't. You, you have to go back to it. And I always find I just go back to it because I love it. So I've, I've come to the conclusion that things will either happen or they won't. You keep trying, and it'll either happen or it won't. But... If you're loving the process and you're loving the writing and you're enjoying it, then that's fine. And that, that computer says no. <laughs> <laughs> not, don't get me wrong. I'd love, I, <laughs> who doesn't write and want to be well-known and have everybody read their books and then have a movie or a, a mini-series made of it? Yeah, that would be absolutely divine. Of course it would. Um, but you do get to a point after 10 books <laughs> and you yeah. think, Okay, that might not ever happen, Sean. So what do you do about it? You either stop or you carry on and you, you just carry on as you were. So you think it's more important to write for yourself? Like, so when you're writing a book, you, you know, you've got a story to tell and you want people to, to be involved and read it. But ultimately, it's, it's more about your process that's, that's coming through, that, you, you, that you're going to do it no matter what? No, no, no. Mm -hmm. um, it's more about having a story and finding out where that's going to take you. Um, paranormal Romances has a lot of rules to it. 
and I've never ever stuck to any of those rules. It's probably why I'm unknown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a paranormal romance is supposed to end all happy, holding hands, lovey, kissy, kissy. Oh, rubbish. No. Uh, no, I like cliffhangers. I like killing people as long as it makes <laughs> sense to the story. Uh, I hope the neighbours can't hear that. I like to shock people. I like to mess about with what you think is going to happen. Um, I use history an awful lot in my books, so I love to mess around with history and completely screw around with your perception of what you think you know. So, no, I, 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 it, it's more about writing things that really, really interest you and excite you rather than sticking to rules or writing to formula. I cannot write to formula uh, and all of that sort of stuff. No, uh, and there's nothing... I don't mean any of that to sound pretentious or, or any. It's not. It's about, it really is about writing something that when you reread it, you go, oh, yes, that's right. You got it. That's it. And that really spurs you on. And that, that's what I find exciting. So do you ever go back to some of your older books, some of the first books you've written and published and kind of go, I would change this, <laughs> you know, like, do you have that as well or no? I think all of us must do that, really, if we're going to be honest. If I had to write my Dead Camp series again, would I change this? Yes. Um, but you don't. It's there. It's, it's, it's written. It's, people have read it. It's finished with us, really. Um, the Last Child trilogy, my biggest mistake with that was releasing it in three parts instead of one great big book. Uh, so if I could go back and do that differently, I probably would, which is why I released the, the omnibus version of it. Um, yeah, I think we'd all do that if we could. Hmm. Certainly so, from a pl plot point of view, you might think, ooh, what if that had happened instead? You'd go, shit, I missed the trick there. Yeah, yeah. That, that can be really irksome. Well, I just wonder also, do, 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 you, do you feel like each time you write a book, you feel like you've become a better writer? And when you go back to something you did, let's say, five years ago, um, you were at a different point in your life, so you probably are a better writer today. Um, do, you, do you have that kind of perspective? Yeah, I, I, again, I think, I think most writers would say the same. You, you're always learning, aren't you? You're always improving. You're always trying to make your... You're deliberately trying to make your writing better. You're deliberately trying to make your characterization better, your plotting better, your pacing better. Yeah, all of that you learn with every single book. Um, the series I'm writing at the moment, I'm really stuck on the fourth book. It's really doing my head in. <laughs> I'm absolutely frozen <laughs> me. Um, and yet it came from my favourite book I ever wrote, which is called The Man Inside Me. No euphemism intended. And it's, it's frozen me. And I, I wish I could go back and change things in the first three books so that I wouldn't be stuck now in book four. We all do that. Mm. It's pretty. It's a pretty, pretty interesting uh, life, um, being a writer and being involved in this process. Who, who do you um, read for inspiration, or do you? Do you find anybody that really kind of inspires you to write? I, I will always go back. I'll always go back and read Elizabeth Costa uh, because that book is just my my absolute favorite. Uh, but Stephen King, certainly his early books, huge influence on me, Stephen King, especially Salem's Lot. 
Um, Charlene Harris, I, I love her books. And she really inspired me when it came to the paranormal romance stuff because reading her Sucky Stackhouse series of books, which I adore, told me that you can break the rules, you can mess about the narrative, you can do things to characters that perhaps you shouldn't. And she made it work, so why can't you have a bash? Yeah, people like her, I absolutely adore. And I, I must admit, I love the Twilight books by, by Stephanie Myers. I've read them umpteen times. Hmm. Sorry, I feel really guilty now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so you're really um, uh, trying to create a fantasy, in a sense, when you write. It depends on the genre. If it's paranormal romance, then yes, it's, it's, it's fantasy. If it's horror, I try to keep my horror as real-world based as I can because I always think that's far more scary than trying to set something in a, in a, a distant land that you've made up. I, think it's, I, I find it much easier to write within the real world so you've got something as a point of basis that you can then mess around with. Hmm. So, so now that we know you are the main character, <laughs> um, how do you develop the characters that you run into in the book around you? Like, how do you decide on what you want to face? That's all done in the in the plot. When when I'm plotting it out, you know, I I sort of have an idea of who the characters are going to be, what characters I need, um, and it's 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 all happens in tandem to working out that plot. So you know how it's going to start, hopefully, and you should hopefully always know how it's going to end. Um, I, I knew I had to have the teacher. I knew that David played a significant role in the book because of who he is. So he had to be a, a certain type of way. He had to be enigmatic and mysterious. And then as you learn about him and who he is, it all becomes apparent. Uh, Chris, Christina King, who is the teacher, she started off with a very tragic childhood and it's about her learning about her parents and why they died and who she is and where that leads to. So it's all those plot points that develop the characters. They start off as one thing, like she's this balls of brass teacher who goes in and chucks kids over her shoulder when somebody's beating up uh, Samuel and, and you know she's kind of a hero and yet she turns into this mess really by the time things start happening and she's starting to learn the facts of her past and then when she finally learns how her and Samuel are connected she kind of transforms into this strong not quite Ripley but <laughs> she's this strong woman who you know she needs to save him at all costs and she's going to do whatever she can to save him so, so that's how your, your, my characters sort of develop. It's always around the plot. I know who they are in your head. You have this backstory plan for them, don't you, normally, to try and round off their personalities. But, but the, 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 the story then moulds them, changes them as, as it moves on. So the personalities for the characters, are they, are they from people you know? Are people you sort of see on the street? Or are they just someone you see in a coffee shop? <laughs> what, what is that? Where do they come from? Well, <laughs> Mrs. Griffiths, who's the uh, other teacher in the book, uh, the old teacher, the old woman, 
she's a bit of a crusty old cow, that one. And she really doesn't care what comes out of her mouth. And I had a maths teacher in school who was exactly like her. And she, we, her nickname was the Dragon Lady. No reference to Game of Thrones. <laughs> and um, it was a very long time ago. And um, so her sort of gruffness and her, the way she speaks and the way she reacts to things kind of comes from my experiences with that maths teacher. As I say, as we now know, Samuel's kind of me. Mrs. Gr- uh, uh, Christina is my art teacher who was very kind to me and looked after me. And um, David, but David had to be made up completely, and I can't give away who he is <laughs> um, <laughs> without giving everything away. And so you, you have to make him up. <laughs> There's no point of reference. <laughs> we just want to know where the people come from that you kill in your books. <laughs> ah! Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> it's a lovely murder of a, of a bully, which I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed writing that because I, I could have been like Damien as a kid and done that to all the people who stabbed and punched me. Marvellous. No, I don't mm. mean that. Not really. <laughs> he says with a vodka in his hand. No. <laughs> Again, we, we, we've all had uh, people we've had to deal with in school and college and work. And so their personalities sort of stick around with you, don't they? And it's inevitable that they sort of creep into your writing somewhere along the line. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. And even if you can't remember, I can't remember the names of half the people I went to school with. 
but I can remember what they were like, and I can remember uh, some of the, their, their personality traits, and that just creeps in. So, so in essence, you are killing off people that, that have been mean. <laughs> <laughs> My entire school year is dead. <laughs> just taking them all out. <laughs> Doesn't bode well for the end of the book. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> Clean house. Clean house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, what you're writing this this this, this series now, or the series is out or coming out. Where do you go yeah. from here? Well, I need I need to get this series finished. It's a paranormal romance, and it's going to be my last one for a while because I want to go back to my horror roots. I really need to get back into my horror writing because I've got a couple of books and notes on my computer which I really need to get stuck into. Um, the, the series I'm writing now is a romance but with heavy horror elements in it it's a sort of retelling of classic universal monster favorites um i just need to get that out of the way and then concentrate on horror i've got a book that i've started called the queller event which is a, a sci-fi horror again it's set in contemporary uh, contemporary period um and i think what i'm going to try and do now I, i've been self-published for a while I've been with a small publishing agency, uh, uh, publisher for a while. So I think what I, my next move is to try and get into a larger publishing house if I can. I've tried it before. It failed. Um, but now I've got, I've got 10 books under my belt. A lot of experience, even though you're still learning. And so I'm hoping I, I can, I, I can crack that one. I really am. <laughs> oh God! It's 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 just about being in the right place and meeting the right person and and it connecting and and all that more than anything. Um, don't let them tell you anything else because there's some really really awful writers out there that have big publishing deals. Yeah, but I mean, there's also some absolutely astonishing authors out there who are just not being read and being noticed. And that's such a difficult thing, whether you're with a publishing house or self-published. Yeah. I, I think with the self-publishing world, there are so many books being thrown out there that it, it, it's like drowning in an ocean of books. So how on earth do you get seen? Yeah. Well, we all do social media, don't we? I mean, I'm on Twitter constantly and Facebook and Instagram. You know, you do all of that. And I've done so many Facebook lives. I think my lips have fallen off. Yeah. It, you, you've, and yet, you're still lucky if you're selling a handful of books a week. If that. Well, I think that um, most of that stuff, social media for me, for, for the most part, I think it just brands you, gets people to know your name and what you do. It doesn't yeah. necessarily result in sales until there's a reason for, for someone to, to come buy your book, do you know? Um, it's kind of an unusual thing, uh, but I, because a lot of people do a lot of things on social media and they get upset because it's like, well, I only sold six books or 20 books or whatever. And yeah. it's like, well, it's because it doesn't, it doesn't turn into instant results. The more you do, the more you get circulated in this world, this, you know, this imaginary world. Online. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and what happens is then you become branded. All of a sudden, everybody will know Sean Kerr as, as the, the horror. 
<laughs> well, I meant horror author, of course. <laughs> not horror tour. Oh, I might borrow that. Yeah. <laughs> but, I feel a new logo coming on. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But that's it, you know, but it's just, yeah, it's catching because as soon as um, something happens where everybody wants to know who you are, wants to pay attention, and then you blow up. But the rest of it's just branding. You just have to keep at her um, to patent yourself, sort of. I think that's how it is, That's in my opinion. Well, that's the one thing I have always struggled with, is the exploding bit. Like, I know euphemism meant. I mean, I've got a wonderful um, PA who happens to be a very close friend of mine, and she posts Maggie Lane, her name is. She's a wonderful woman. And she posts all my books in literally thousands of, of Facebook groups a month. But you, you have to think there's so much of that going on. I haven't got a bottomless pit of money to be able to advertise things and use Amazon adverts. And it, it's just never ending. All, all these things you can advertise on. You, you'd, you'd spend a fortune. And I, and I think the only way for me is to try and find a larger publishing house who kind of do a lot of that with you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they, they, they're more in the real world. There's two worlds. And, they're, you know, if you want to be, have more of a presence in a bookstore, the, the ones when you publish with a company like that, it, it tends to be it'll be in the books. You'll be in bookstores everywhere, you know, and they'll, they'll have some presenting to it and sign you up for book signings and stuff like that. Um, I guess it's, I, it results in more sales for sure, yeah. Now that is a that is a dream of mine is to see one of my books on a bookshelf in a in a bookstore or a library. That that must be such a wonderful feeling to walk in and see a book on a shelf like that. Oh yeah, I've just got goose pimples. That sounds lovely. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't. I never got Ooh. one goosebump for that. But... Oh. <laughs> oh, come on, don't rain on my parade, please. I was having a No, because you find it and someone stuck some gum to your cover. And... Oh, 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 oh. Oh, yeah. Well, you know the answer to that, don't you? Write a book and kill them off. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, uh, I, I, I follow the real thing. So, you, <laughs> you, you, so when you write, so when you say you want to go back to horror, what, what is it that people... What kind of horror do you like? Do you like the old-fashioned, old classic horrors? Or do you like kind of this new graphic sort of more detailed horror like they have nowadays? I, I'm not so keen on the slasher flick horror. That doesn't do it for me, you know, like the Saw films. Even yeah. though, you know, the first Saw film is very clever, and I really like the first one. But every film after that is just a different way to kill people. And I don't want to read books like that. That and writing that sort of thing doesn't excite me. I'm I'm more I I like plot. I like detailed, intricate plot, and I like things that make you shiver. So I do like a lot of the old um, horror films. Um, I love all the old black and white Universal horror movies, though they're not really frightening, are they? But things like The Exorcist, The Omen films, I absolutely adore those, and then. Fantastic uh, Dan Brown and his conspiracy theories. I think that all combines with horror very, very well. And it, it's that sort of thing that really interests me. 
Geez, with a conspiracy theory, you must just be in your heyday now, right? I just mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, said on Facebook that I was seeing one these days. <laughs> well, yeah, you've got the Jewish laser beams causing Texas to get snow, and you've got... Oh, good grief. Well, geez, that's what I mean, but there's tons of these conspiracy theories out there. It's just crazy, right? Uh, you must be having a great time. Well, it's things like technology that really interest me. I mean, who would have thought... And we'd all end up with a little box in your room that you talk to to turn the lights on, or switch the channels, or buy your coffee for you. I mean, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that's unheard of. Uh, so that fascinates me, and, and I think that brings to mind classic books and films like Demon Seed, and which is horrific when you boil that down to a, an artificial intelligence inseminating a woman to give birth to a new life form is horrific. And I think that sort of thing, I think, I think there's room for that sort of horror in amongst all the slasher gore stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's more about suspense in a way. It, yeah. It, you know, that kind of build up horror in the mind than just... Yeah, I don't want to see the monster, but I want to hear it. And I want to hear the breathing or the heartbeat or the creaking floorboard or see a shadow in the darkness. I mean, um, I'll tell you the story now. Still talking about your horror books? Or? <laughs> but you never know with me. Okay, I thought we were getting into romance. That's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, I thought you got into the romance there. <laughs> I'll tell you a story, and it made it, made it into uh, one of the, my latest books. I, I used to be a smoker. And I went, uh, one of the times I was trying to give up, I had a packet of cigarettes in my pocket, so I sneaked out the conservatory to have a pack outside when my other half was getting ready to go out. And it was pitch black, and we've got a walled garden, so there's walls on all sides of us. And I looked around, and all I saw what looked like a head with horns sitting on the wall. And as I say, it was pitch black, so it was just this outline of a head sitting on the wall with horns. And then it wobbled. I nearly had a coronary on the spot. Because you know what it's like when you're a writer? You've got this mad imagination. Your head goes to all sorts of places. Well, as it turned out, it then uncurled and it was a flaming cat. I've, I've never been so relieved in all my born days. But that scene, <laughs> that, that, that gave me such a turn. I've always remembered that. And it made it into one of my books. And then when I was a kid, I had this terrible, terrible nightmare about these things invading a school at the bottom of my garden. Not that there was a school, but stay with me. And they were coming out onto the street and their faces were flying off at people. And that dream has haunted me for going on 45 years. It, it terrified me at the time. And that's going to be a book. <laughs> so <laughs> there we are. Go figure. I think I need to be locked up. <laughs> well, no, you fit totally the world nowadays. So, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you can, you can be the next Boris Johnson. Oh dear God, I nearly choked then. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> For one, he's got more hair than I have, <laughs> and two, it ain't happening. Oh, don't talk to me about that, man. <laughs> oh, well, we were talking horror. I just thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a British horror. That's uh, the British horror story. That's right. It would fit right in. Well, you know what? what okay, so as a, I always, I'm interested in this for all writers, but as a person that writes suspense, thriller, horror, 
conspiracy paranormal, like the, you know, darker kind of areas in writing. Um, when things like what's gone on in the world, let's say in this last year, like, you know, you got the pandemic, you got Boris yeah. Johnson as prime minister. Now you had Trump, you had all this, and then you had all the other stuff going on. So with all of that going on around you every single day, you've got this, this it's on the news. It's just, you know, all this stuff going on. Does that affect your writing? Yeah. Big time. Uh, uh, I think, you know, we've been living a horror story for want of a better description of me. It's been a year of constant horror and it does affect you because it puts you into a very dark place. Uh, when you're in lockdown, Wales has been in lockdown, our third lockdown since uh, December the 20th. So I haven't seen family and friends in a very long time. And it really puts you on the edge. <laughs> and mm. it does, it, it, that sort of darkness does creep into your writing. There's no doubt about it. And it also fuels your plot bunnies for future projects. Not that I would write about a pandemic, and I certainly wouldn't do that now because that just doesn't seem right. Not when we live in the flipping thing. But, you know, things like lockdown, you could write a story about lockdown and something horrific happens to you while you're in lockdown. And of course, you can't get help because you're in lockdown. So there's, there's all sorts of things that spring from, from that sort of situation, really. Yeah, I, I, it's just it's interesting because I get back and forth. I mean, we talked to uh, a, a, an English writer yesterday that it had no effect at all on. Some people are, are, are affected different. Everybody's different, aren't they? Yeah. We all deal with things very differently. I mean, I'm, I'm used to being at home. I'm used to working at home. I have been for the last three years. But being stuck at home and told that you can't go out and you can't go and see your mum and dad or your friends and you can't go down the pub, that's a very different thing. And, and it, uh, so it, you, you might be all right with it for a while, and then as it goes on and on and on, it just drags you down to this, oh, for God's sake, when's all this going to end sort of mentality. Yeah. And it, you, you kind of get annoyed and angry when you see people flouting the rules and spreading the virus, and you think, right, come on, you lot, behave, otherwise we're never going to get out of this. Yeah, well, you know, and keeping keeping you away from the pub, God, that's enough to kill. Oh, yes. <laughs> I tell you, thank God for my fridge, really. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, yeah, and then the God, yeah, but I heard that the the COVID was fake. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> well, all those, I, all those... I can categorically say my husband is a a nurse, and he works in intensive and infection control in the biggest hospital in Cardiff, in, in Wales, sorry. And the last year has been an absolute torment for him. And, and so I've had to, I've, I've worried about him every day he goes to work. Thank God we haven't been touched by the dreaded box. It hasn't come anywhere near us. But well, you, you never know from one day to the next whether he's going to catch it. And seeing what he goes through every day, I can categorically say it's real. Yeah, aren't they all actors? <laughs> Come on, run oh with it! Oh my we... God, I haven't heard that one. Oh that just can't be really. Oh. That can't be true. Yeah, there's 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 groups saying that now, but oh uh, for God's it, sake! But you know, but that's kind of the it, come on. We can run with this. This, this is a good story. <laughs> this is your next book. Yeah. 
Let's get it. So, you know, this sounds so I really nice. have had a, a microchip injected into my arm then while I sat there. Yes. Right? Yeah. Bill Gates is on you now. Oh, I thought it was Putin. Damn. Well, Bill Gates is really Putin without a shirt. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, oh. it's, they're all the same. They just wear a mask. It's just, it's all fantasy. You know? uh, is it really a mask or is it a face? Is there something else under there? Yeah. Well, there, he's a reptilian. Like <laughs> yeah, It's veal over again, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, what can I say? You know, um, hey, it's, it, life only gets better. Um, but what sort of horror do you like? What, what sort of horror? Well, I like you... classic. I, I really enjoy the classic and because it's more about the story, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's the imagination and it's the build-up. So, you know, like the Hammer films are fun. And, and I watch the um, – I still watch all the old ones. I, I kind of make fun of some of it because of the acting. But, um, I, I, yeah, they're, they're, it's totally better. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of books because I've had cataract surgery on both eyes, so I it's a struggle reading them as much. Right. And so, um, but um, Dracula and Frankenstein, I listen to a lot of the classics. So See, but, but, but they fascinate me. They've always absolutely fascinated me. And they're so well-written. They're so developed. There's so much to them. Yes, uh, there's a pathos to them that a lot of people just don't realize, especially with the first Frankenstein movie. Right. I'm the book, actually. I'm the book. Yeah, that's what, you know, when, that's why when you go to the book and, uh, like, you know, been listening, it's just like, it's crazy how many differences and how much more complex it is. And I think that's great. And I think that's what I like. I think that most of the modern day horrors tend to be more about um, upfront killing and, and yeah. graphic and it's as brutal as can be. And, and the effects are incredible like on these series and movies and things that they put on, on TV and stuff. But after a couple of hours, there's still, there's not a lot of content. Yeah. Uh, my classic, as far as that sort of thing is concerned, is Alien. Because yeah. you really don't see that Alien very much, do you? You see right. very little of it, and yet it remains possibly one of the most terrifying things you ever see on the screen. And then... Yeah. Later films just don't have the same impact because it's all about the aliens seeing the whole thing. It, you know, they're everywhere and it's all CGI. So the, the effectiveness and that terrible creep factor isn't there. Yeah, totally. And that's, that's, that's exactly it. That's kind of what does it. It's like The Thing, right? You know, um, oh, that was another one, right? Things. It's done so well when you... It's really not about the thing. It, I mean, it is, but it's not. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when they when they modernize it, it all becomes about something really. Uh, well, I love the black and white film of the thing. I've got that's one of my prized possessions in my cabinet. But I also love John Carpenter's version. I adore it. Yeah, that was done well. Um, it really for more of a. Modern, I was going to say, but that was still probably 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it definitely was, yeah. I was a kid. Uh, I'm probably, 52 now. <laughs> it's probably 1980. I, I recently read the book. Have you read the book? There, there, there was a new edition of the book brought out. which no. was an extended version of it, of who goes there. And it, it was recently discovered. And so they published it. And it's, it's an incredible read. It's so different 
to the original. There's so much more story to it. It's really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. No, I don't. I didn't. I haven't heard that one. But um. Hmm. So here we are. So now, now, do you have a website or do you anything like that that people can come find you at, or where do you like to be stalked? Um. <laughs> www.deadcamp.com is my uh, website. I'm terrible at keeping it updated. I really need to do more work on that yeah. um, or find a slave to do it for me. Um, <laughs> you can reach me on that, but my, most of my content is, is always on social media. I say Facebook is probably the best place to find me. Um, I'm always posting my book stuff there and my other interests on that, and I have various groups on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as well. And Twitter, SJK69 on Twitter. Don't say a word. Yeah, okay. We're going to have that on. <laughs> we'll put that up on the... <laughs> yeah. We'll put that up on the website. And also, and, your, and Grindr. <laughs> Damn, my secret sounds. Yeah. <laughs> We're not so we can't meet. This <laughs> oh, boy. I'll tell you. So... I, well, here, here we go. So now um, I was going to say just before we, we finish and stuff, um, was, is there any writer that you'd like to write with? Oh, um, they're all dead. <laughs> well, um, that, could, that could work in a paranormal. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, uh, I, I'm a huge Bram Stoker fan, of course. Um, actually, I'd love to write with uh, Elizabeth Kostova. Or Charlene Harris, that would be a hoot. That would be an absolute dream. Uh, one of my best friends is called Ian Kadena, and he writes um, urban fantasy books. And we've always said that we would write together at some point. I just don't know how that would work and how the dynamics of that would work. That's really difficult to do, I think, because I can't start writing until I know the voice of a character. So that is more often than not, the jumping off point for me to, to get stuck in is when I find that character's voice and it works and you're like, right, okay, that's how they're going to be. So to have somebody else then write for that character in the same book, I don't know. I don't know whether I'd be a bit, really? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd have to be on the same page for sure. You have to have a connection about what kind of story you want to tell. There has to be I mean, I've been a part of anthologies. I've done a couple of anthologies. And when I first um, was professionally involved in, in this industry, I did a, an anthology for the Pulse shootings way back when. And we pulled together a book of love stories to, to help raise funds for the Pulse shooting victims. And that was an absolute nightmare, I can tell you. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I was so innocent up until that point. Talk about being thrown in at the deep end with all these huge personalities and egos. And I thought, oh, my God. And so ever since then, I've been very reluctant to get involved yeah. in anything else that involves a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You have to be careful with that, with the personality and what, what you're going into. It's, it's not always easy, and it's not always a pretty thing, right? It's not always... But I bet you learn a lot doing it, though. I bet it's quite a learning curve when you're working with somebody on a book rather than a, 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 a series of stories. 
Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that you get out of this, it's, it's a creative thing. So when you have, when you're telling a, a story, like for me, it's a real story, but I might have a point of view where I want to start the story, where I want people to start and then bring them back or go through the details. And sometimes you work with another writer, um, they throw a different idea at you and it kind of opens your eyes to new perspectives and sort of it it kind of adds a flavor. I guess it's like the Beatles. You have, you know, opposing people that throw throw in the ideas and it comes out pretty good. I bet that works really well in your sort of genre as well. I mean, I my hat off to you. I don't know whether I could do what you do. I really don't. Oh, me either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I tell I you. Mean, my day job, I'm, I'm a content writer for an American company. You know, thank God it's all done online. But that's all factual based, and I write articles for various blogs and online magazines. And that is, I find that so difficult because you have to be so factual. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I like to mess around with facts. And... Well, I think, I think for, for that, it, it's true. You go there. The, the, but what you do is you, you take trips out and you meet like the killer. You meet people that are involved. You meet families. So it gives, it, you can write your perspective and personality into that your story. Do you know what I mean? God, I bet you've got some stories to tell. I do. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I have some moments, but you know, it's, 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 it's all good as far as I'm concerned for the most part. There is some hard parts, but it, it's, it's good overall. It, but yeah, it's um, um, interesting. I, that's, that's that word again. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. It's, it's got a lot to answer for, hasn't it? That word. It really yeah, <laughs> it, it leaves it open to suggestion. It's interesting. <laughs> Story of my life. Yeah. Well, how long does it take you to put together a book? Do you think? Uh usually the paranormal romance stuff usually takes about six months uh, for a book. Um, although my first ever. One was two years, but that wasn't writing full time. Um, the horror, I can usually get round to doing a first draft, perhaps six months to a year. Hmm. Uh, because I'm at home all the time, I tend to do things for my day job at home and then work all night on, on the book side of it. Right. So I have more time to do it, perhaps, than many others would. So that's the only advantage I've got. But perhaps that's too long. I don't know. I know people who can turn out a book every couple of weeks, and I just don't understand that. I, I can't do it. Well, I should end this up. I should say um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this, and I'm very, very grateful for you giving me the opportunity. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure it's, uh, to talk to someone that can, can write. Uh, I can <laughs> do that. I can graduate. Um, the book we're talking about is The Last Child, and uh, the author is Sean Kerr. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you very, very much, and please take care of both of you. Thanks, Sean. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. <laughs> The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.